If you would turn in your Bible or your Bible app or in your bulletin to Ephesians chapter 1. We have been, for a couple of weeks, taking apart this one long sentence, verses 3 through 14, that Paul has written for us. And as we come, come back to these verses again this morning, I've been thinking of uh, a famous quote, I think it's famous, uh, by J.I. Packer that he wrote in his book, Knowing God, about 40 years ago. He said this, you sum up the whole of the New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's holy father. For the Christian, the thought of being God's child and having God as, as his father is the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life. So he's saying the Christian life is all about living as those who have been adopted as sons and daughters of God through Jesus, the Son of God. As Tracy mentioned to us this morning in Sunday school, Brennan Manning said the same thing in a more colorful way as you would expect from him. The Christian life is about knowing that we have a father who's crazy about us. And this is what we've seen so far in Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 5, Paul said, in love, in that crazy for us love, God the Father has predestined us for adoption to himself. I love that phrase, to himself. Adoption to himself. It wasn't just adoption into a family and you never get to see the dad. It's adoption to himself. As sons through Jesus Christ. Paul has been telling us who we are by telling us whose we are. We are sons in the Son. And friends, there is a battle over that identity. There's a war against the word from God about whose and who we are. And I don't know if you feel it, but I feel it. And Paul wants us to be ready and equipped to stand firm in the fight. And so he will continue that adoption theme today by assuring us that our relationship with our Father is secure by telling us about our inheritance. He's continuing this language of being heirs of God, sons and daughters of God. So let's stand together and hear the word of the, of the God who loves his church. Now, I'm gonna, we're, we're only looking at verses 11 through 14 this morning, but I'm going to go back to verse 3 so that we get the whole sentence together. This is the word of the Lord. Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with, 
which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated while I pray. (laughs) Father, would you come now by your Spirit? And help us to at least begin to understand what Paul is saying in these very densely packed verses. And I ask for your help. Now, I offer you, as I offer your people, um, uh, my own look at these verses to, to help us try to begin to understand what they mean for us. Um, So would you help us, help me, by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, those were the words that Satan began with when he tempted Jesus in the wilderness, after Jesus had been in the wilderness 40 days and 40 nights. Why is that significant? Because what were the last words Jesus heard before the Spirit led him into the wilderness? The last words Jesus heard were from his father at his baptism, when his father said, You are my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. So Satan comes at him with, If you are the son of God, If you are the son of God, then turn these stones to bread. Where's your father, Jesus? Has he led you into this wilderness to starve? So your father won't provide for you, will he? And then Jesus was taken to the top of the temple, and Satan told him, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down because, and then he quoted to him Psalm 91, Because this psalm says that your father will send his angels to protect you. So, Jesus, let's see how much your father loves you. Jump. Satan's third temptation had to do with the father's promise to give Jesus an inheritance. He's still after his sonship. In Psalm 2, God said to the Messiah King, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, your inheritance. 
and the ends of the earth your possession. And so the devil showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the earth and their glory. And he said, bow down and worship me and all these will be yours. He was trying to get Jesus to doubt his father's promise of the inheritance of all things in heaven and earth. Paul will end his letter to the Ephesians by urging them to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. If Satan's plan of attack against the Son of God was to drive a wedge into his relationship with his father, you can be sure that Satan will do all he can to drive a wedge between the children of God and their father. And Paul knows that the devil's tactic with Jesus will be his tactic with the church in Ephesus. And he knows it's his tactic with us. Satan is constantly attacking your relationship with your heavenly father. He wants you to doubt your father's heart for you. Some of you are worn out in your wilderness. And some of you wonder, where, where's your father? Why isn't he providing for you? Why isn't he protecting you? And how long will you have to wait for the inheritance he's promised? Are you hearing the enemy of your soul whisper, if you're the son If you're the daughter of God, then where is he? Where is he? And we know that Jesus fought Satan by saying, it is written. He fought Satan with the word of God. And I want us this morning, Paul wants us this morning to have some it is written's for our battle. Some it is written's for our wilderness. He's given us some words this morning um, that we can use to fight in this battle over our identity in Christ. And they're in these amazing but complicated verses 11 to 14. And Paul says in these verses, as we're going to see, that we can trust our relationship with the Father. We can trust that he has not abandoned us in the wilderness. We can trust that that relationship is secure because the inheritance that he's promised us is secure. So he's going to talk about this inheritance. And and we have to ask the question, what, what is this inheritance In the Old Testament, an inheritance was an allotment or a portion, usually of land, that was given to the sons of the father. For example, when Adam and Eve were given the Garden of Eden as their allotted portion, that was their inheritance. Later, Israel was given the promised land of Canaan as their inheritance, as their allotted portion. And when the 12 tribes of Israel moved into that land... 
they were each given an allotted portion of land that would be where their families would, would live and grow. It was their inheritance. Last week, we saw that Jesus was promised an inheritance. His allotted portion would be that all things in heaven and in earth would be united under him. The new creation, the new heaven and earth, that's the inheritance of the Son of God. And as the sons and daughters of God, our promised land is the new creation promised to our brother Jesus. We are co-heirs with him, Paul says in Romans 8. This is why Jesus said, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. His inheritance is our inheritance. The new heavens, the new earth, the kingdom, the new creation. And so... In these verses, 11 to 14, Paul's going to assure us that our relationship with the Father is secure because our inheritance from the Father is secure. Okay? He's going to give us some fighting words here in the wilderness. And he's going to do this in two ways. Verses 11 and 12, he's going to tell us that our inheritance is secure in God's sovereign purpose. Our inheritance is secure in God's sovereign purpose. And then in 13 and 14, he's going to tell us that our inheritance is secured with God's promised spirit. Okay? So, let's, let's dig into these before we come to the table. First, our relationship with the Father is secure in his sovereign purpose to give us an inheritance. In him we have obtained an inheritance is so secure that he says it in, this, in the past tense. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose. Remember that pur- word purpose means the good pleasure of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Our inheritance is guaranteed because our relationship with the Father is grounded in the Father's sovereign purpose. To adopt us and make us his own. As I've been studying this, this was fascinating. This was something I didn't, I hadn't known before. But Roman adoptions, um, which Paul would be very familiar with, were, were usually uh, by wealthy men who were seeking a son to carry on the family name and to steward the family inheritance. And so they did not adopt babies like we do. They did not adopt boys. They adopted full-grown, mature adult men who had already proven themselves in life to be respectable and responsible. Very interesting. (laughs) But God is different in the way he adopts us. He, He chose to adopt us before we were born, before the universe was born. Before we could ever be respectable or responsible, or before we could have proven that we wouldn't be. And he did it by putting us in Christ, Paul says, by uniting us to the son that he already has. The son who has always been respectable and responsible, and beyond that, who's been resplendent with his glory. The son whom the father promised to give the inheritance of uniting all things in heaven and earth under him. And so God didn't wait to adopt us 
after we had grown up and proven ourselves worthy. No, he had no reason to choose us. It was simply his good pleasure, his purpose to choose to adopt us in eternity past so that we would hope in him now and be to the praise of his glory, not ours. And he didn't wait for us to choose him by our will. No, he chose us according to the good pleasure and the counsel of his will. And as we'll see in chapter 2, none of us would choose him because we're dead in our sins. So he had to exert his will to make us alive in Christ Jesus. And so, because our sonship rests on his sovereign purpose and plan, we can rest in his love for us. His love for us is not based on anything in or about us. That lets us rest. Our sonship is secure in his sovereign purpose to choose us. And so, them's fighting words. When Satan comes to us and says, if you are the son of God, if you're the daughter of God, where is your father in your wilderness? We can answer him. It is written. In Christ the Son, we are sons and daughters, and we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Be gone, Satan. My inheritance is safe in my Father's sovereign purpose and plan. And secondly... Paul wants us to know that our relationship with the Father is secured with his promised spirit. In verse 13 and 14, he says, In him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now notice Paul doesn't say that the Holy Spirit seals us. He says that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the seal. And seals served at least two purposes. They proved authenticity and they, pro- and they proved belonging. So let's, let's think about a seal uh, proving authenticity. Um, my, my driver's license... Um, if I can find it. My, my driver's license has uh, the seal of the great state of Tennessee uh, kind of uh, hidden in it a little bit. But if you look at it the right way, you can see there's the seal. That means my driver's license is the real deal. It, it, it's authentic. That's, that's what a seal does. And so when we hear Paul say in verse 1 that we are saints or holy ones, or when we hear him in verse 4 say that we've been predestined to be holy and blameless in his sight, or in verse 7 that we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus and forgiven of all our sin, um, what he's saying is that uh, he is making us holy, and so then he gives the Holy Spirit as the seal that that promise of making us holy through Jesus is the real deal. It's authentic because he puts the Holy Spirit in us who is now making us a holy temple for his residence. 
And when he moves in, the Spirit gives us the desire to be holy, even as our Father is holy. And he gives us the power to live a holy life more and more, not perfectly, but progressively. We're moving toward holiness. He said, Paul said in Romans 8, If you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. If you you are being led toward holiness, uh, toward living the holy life that Jesus purchased for you, then you're a son or a daughter of God. It's a seal of authenticity. But then Paul's later going to talk in Ephesians 4, and we'll get at this in a couple of months probably, in Ephesians 4.30, he references the Spirit as a seal again. Paul says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And he, he says that in the middle of a bunch of verses about living a holy life. In verse 25, put away falsehood and speak truth. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Verse 27, uh, verse 28, don't steal anymore, but labor to give and do honest work with your hands. Verse 29, don't let corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only what's good for building up and giving grace. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Along with all malice, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as Christ, God in Christ has forgiven you. You see, the, if you have a desire to live that way, it means that the Holy Spirit is in you. You've been sealed with him. And it doesn't grieve him if you want to live that way. If you don't want to live that way, it grieves him. So the Spirit is is a seal of authenticity. That the holiness uh, that you have been given in Christ and the holiness you've been called to in Christ is real. It's yours. But the seal is also a seal. Oh, and so how do you use that as fighting words? Well... Now when Satan comes to you and says, if you're the son of God, if you're the daughter of God, how can your father love a sinful, dirty wreck like you? Ever heard him say that to you? You can answer him. It's written in Ephesians that when I heard the true word about the good news that God would save me from the penalty and the power and the presence of my sin through Jesus, I believed in him. And his Holy Spirit moved into me and made me his holy temple. The old is going away and the new is coming. Slowly but surely, I am becoming a new creation. Be gone, Satan. I'm secure in my Father's love because I'm sealed with his Spirit. And then he's also the seal of belonging. Um, Like a signet ring that has the engraved family name or the family crest on it, and they would use that signet ring to mark their possessions or to sign a document or to press it into wax to seal an important scroll. It, it put their name on these things. It was a sign of belonging. And so when we look back at verse 5 and say, 
and see that he says, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. The Spirit is the seal, the proof that we belong to him, that we have been adopted. We can know our belonging to the Father is real because of this seal. And Paul again says in Romans 8, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. The same spirit of adoption that made Jesus cry out, Abba, Father, in his suffering is the seal that God puts on all of his sons and daughters. Do you cry out to your father when you suffer? Do you, do you find yourself crying out, Father, help me. Abba, Father. If your suffering keeps driving you back to your father, in grief, yes. In doubt, yes. In anguish, yes. But to your father, then you can know you've been sealed with the spirit of adoption. Who the spirit of Jesus who in you cries out to your father. And so now when Satan comes to us and says, if you're the son of God, if you're the daughter of God, if, if you belong to him, why doesn't he provide for you and protect you in your wilderness? And we can answer, it is written in Ephesians chapter 1 that when I heard the true word about the good news that God wanted to redeem me from bondage through the blood of Jesus and to make me his own child. I believed in him and his Holy Spirit in me is proof that I belong to him. His spirit testifies to my spirit that I'm a child of God. So be gone, Satan. I'm a co-heir with Christ. I'm a co-heir with Christ in his suffering now and I will be a co-heir with him in his glory later. So the Spirit is a seal. He is the seal that promises, that, that gives you the security of knowing that you live in your Father's love and your wilderness. And then finally, in verse 14, Paul calls the Holy Spirit not only a seal, but also a down payment. The ESV says the word guarantee, but it's, it's the word down payment. The promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee or the down payment, of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Now, a down payment is another way to achieve security. It's another way to offer security. When we put 20% down on a home, toward a home, we're saying that we will certainly pay the rest of the 80%. It's a guarantee. It's, a, it's security for the one we're paying, I'm giving you this 20% and I guarantee you I'll, I'll give you the rest in time. But God doesn't just give us 20%. He doesn't just give us 20%. He gives us 100% of himself in his spirit. His spirit lives in us and is already beginning to make us new. 
as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3, we are being transformed into the image of Jesus from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The Spirit is in us beginning to make the transformation happen that we will be completed one day. And you can know that you'll get that inheritance because the Spirit, you have the Spirit in you now and the renewal of Renewal of all things in Jesus is already beginning in you. The renewal of all things is already beginning in us, his church. And so now when Satan comes and says, if you're the son of God, if you're the daughter of God, if you belong to him, where is this renewal of all things he's promised you? And we can answer him. It's written in Ephesians. That when I heard the true word about the good news that God planned to unite all things under Jesus, I believed in him and his Holy Spirit moved into me and is beginning that renewal now in Christ Jesus. The transformation is slow, sometimes barely discernible, but it's real. The Holy Spirit is at work in me. So be gone, Satan. I am a new creation. The old in me is gone. The new has come because the Spirit of Jesus lives in me. Paul is, is just hammering away at who we are in these first three chapters of, of Ephesians because he knows that who we are, our understanding of who we are, will control and, and, and bear fruit in how we live. That's chapters 4 to 6. He's just digging deep. He wants us to have confidence who, of who we are in our Father's eyes. Well, as I finish, I, there, I was trying to think of what's at least one way that we could act on what we've heard today. How can we help each other in the wilderness? In verses 12 and 13, Paul is talking as an older believer to newer believers, as one who has already believed to those who have recently believed. He says... So we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And then he says in 13, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. Paul's using his words here to encourage them that they're secure in their relationship with their father. That, that they and he together believe the same gospel and have been given the same spirit. And so I wonder... If we could continue to do that with one another, if we could use our words to help each other fight the devils, if you are the son of God, if you are the, father, uh, the, the daughter of God, and help each other remember what is written in this word from our father to us through Paul. You do that well, but I'm, I'm just encouraging us to continue to use the written word of God to encourage one another in our wildernesses that our Father has not abandoned us. Father, would you help us to do that for one another, even as Paul did it for his brothers and sisters in Ephesus? Would you help us to have confidence in our relationship with you because you have confidence 
in our relationship with you. Not because of us, because of all you have done in Christ and by your spirit. And now help us to see Jesus um, and to run to him at this table. We ask in his precious and powerful name. Amen.